Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dark Rhino Security, Security Confidential. This is Manoj Tandon, your host, and today we are honored to have another brilliant guest join us. She is Wendy NG, Dr. Wendy NG, who is a brilliant scientist turned cybersecurity professional. To give you a little bit about her background, she has she's a consummate consultant. She's worked at Cisco, PwC, Deloitte. She is a principal cloud security architect, keynote speaker. She's been featured at Black Hat. Uh, she has led the team at Experian in DevSecOps uh, and has really defined strategy for that organization, uh, especially when it came to their DevSecOps transformation initiative. Uh, she is regularly a part of the community, has had many ex uh, appearances, Black Hat most recently, and uh, we are just honored to have her on the show. Uh, Dr. Wendy, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be part of the show. No, thank you so much. Uh, you know, we got to we got to start off with a very interesting thing. You know, of when you look back, we've had hundreds of guests on the show, and and I'm kind of coming to the conclusion that ninety percent of them did not start life off in cybersecurity. They all arrived here some way or another. And you're a geneticist, an honest to god, real scientist. How? Do you go from that to uh, IT, cybersecurity? When I was going through school and university and, you know, postgraduate, there wasn't, there weren't cybersecurity degrees. Sure. You know, there were sort of, you know, computer science, IT sort of technology degrees, but that didn't exist. But why, how, um, I am, I, I trained as, uh, in medical genetics at Oxford. Um, wow. Because uh, the, the, the background in that is, my, I came from a quite a high achieving family. My father's a doctor, and so he was quite keen for me to be to do medicine. But honestly, I mean, I pass out of the sight of blood, and you know <laughs> that was just not going to happen. So it's like next. So what what can I do? Um, so I, I was quite geeky, anyways. I did I did medical genetics. Um, genetic uh did genetics undergraduate and then did medical genetics the 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 issue is i um you know I, I don't wear much makeup um because i have very sensitive skin so when i was doing the lab work it, um i was doing in hospital environment and i had to do a lot of you know in terms of the hygiene i i, I just got very bad eczema um Wow. And it, Ooh. you know, I just had to get out of the lab. Basically, yeah, it was it was not good. Initially, I was gonna go into um, you know something like along the bioinformatics field because my PhD was quite analytical anyway. So it's uh, complex diseases. So there's a lot of basically you need to generate a lot of data and you number crunch and you run statistics on it to see whether the results are significant or not. Um, as La Cafe, I've, I've joined instead. I joined um, Cisco as uh, technical consulting, internal consulting, which which suits me just fine because I'm I'm sort of quite a geeky social person. Um, and Cisco is networking, right? So when yes. I I think coming from a different field and dramatically different field, I think opened my eyes to things a lot because even if you just if if you just spent your sort of entire career in one field, sometimes you sort of like that there's sort of like kind of forces that I suppose around you. But I, I came because I think partly because I came from a different field, I thought, hang on, 
we're going, we're moving. Well, everything was connected by the time I sort of migrated over and everything's designed with connectivity in mind, but not security. So going forward, that's going to be an interesting field. And I, I just felt like um, it was a, an area that, well, it was interesting because it was growing. Um, it was a field that we can, uh, I can potentially contribute towards. And um, it, it, I think I just looked at the opportunity and sort of made a sideways step after my initial sideways step. So it's very, yeah, eclectic background. Well, and do you think that did that not put you at a distinct advantage, actually, because you came from such a different field, yet you had all the analytical training and none of the preconceived notions of what infosec yeah that was i think that was the word that thank you that was the word i was trying to look for so i think it's um i think it does help to have people from different field and and i think in in cyber security that's quite common anyway um i think you know nobody certainly my generation above <laughs> did like cyber security yes no. you know uh, you know undergraduate or what have you so I, I think that is, I think that's an advantage. And I think that is, um, I think that may be the reason why it's such a vibrant field. Um, you know, it's a combination of geekiness and creativity that's driving the whole ecosystem. You know, the only other place we see that in uh, is medicine, because you look at the entrance to medical school, they come from, there, there's a large diversity of background. The number of engineers that go into medical school is staggering and and it's um perhaps there's something to be said for that you know as opposed to just coming in from uh, a pure computer science basis so interesting yeah i i think yeah i think so and um in in terms of i do think you know our I don't know. I I don't know if we will ever get to retire, my generation. So I, I you know, if you look <laughs> at how long your career path is, I think the ability to sort of, you know, to change and sort of, um, you know, move into a different field that's uh, that you're interested in, and I think it's that's the most important thing. You need to be passionate about your work. You need to be interested in your work for you to do well. I mean, that's my kind of. Um, and personal feeling. I think that was worth that statement right there is worth the price of admission because that's <laughs> very true for anyone listening, you know, that if if you don't have a passion for what you're doing, your chances of excelling at it are pretty zero to none. Yeah. Whereas if yeah, you're and passionate, I, I, much can be achieved. <laughs> absolutely. And I think I am, you know, I'm under no illusion that I'm in a sort of uh, in a very uh, enviable position that I actually, you know, I actually enjoy my sort of trails and craft and my career. Um, so it's, um, it's, you know, in in that vein, I, I, it's always good to sort of give back and share with the community and see how we can move everybody forward. So uh, let me ask you this, as a geneticist, as someone who's worked with a lot of viruses and whatnot, are there are there any lessons that compare like between uh, containing a virus and containing a breach or limiting damage? Is there, 
Is there, I'm just curious. I, it, it may be a really stupid question, but. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And, and there, and there are actually, and I actually wrote, um, I can't remember, I, I, I've been writing blogs since 2016, but I actually wrote a blog like called like herd immunity, right? And it is, um, the concepts are similar. So it's herd immunity in the sense that you're not infecting everybody. So it's herd immunity in the sense of like what we do using vaccines. So you basically vaccinate, you know, the people you can, which is what happened, you know, in the, you know, in the pandemic, you vaccinate as many people as possible. And through that process of vaccination, uh, herd immune, um, you build up herd immunity, which slows down the rate of transmission of a virus in your population. And it, it's designed to, well, one of the things that it achieves is there are individuals within your, um, within your organization that's, I mean, within, uh, within your population that doesn't, uh, that can't elicit a good immune response. You know, there might be, you know, in the chemo yeah. or, you know, there might be other immunocompressed, immunosuppressed due to other reasons. Um, and you, you have this, the concept of herd immunity really protects that population. Now you can, you know, you, you can move that to sort of in IT space. I mean, like mainframes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's quite difficult to protect those because. Uh, wow. Yeah, so those that's, are, a, that's a, that's it. <laughs> yeah. So that's your, that's your sort of immunosuppressed. <laughs> I probably shouldn't be saying this, but you know, it, 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 you just, uh, you know, in terms of visibility, in terms of, you know, how, how do you, how do you protect those? So you, you, you just protect your sort of ecosystem and, you know, basically, wrap it, wrap that around sort of um uh, sort of not a physical layer but you know a protective sheath as it were or, or layer um interesting that you know <clears throat> i had never thought of it that way but that, that's a very interesting concept uh and and it's and it seems logically correct it that's how it would function i think i think yes i think i mean I think there is a there are lots of you know conceptually there's a lot of similarities you know in terms of you know biological viruses you've got different variants you've got computer viruses you've got different variants uh, yes you know the the mode of spread is probably quite similar um the other thing I think that's very I think one thing that sort of attracted me and that was very useful is um in medical genetics actually you they there's you you deal with data you know there's a lot of data. And um, I think in uh, in security, there's there's a lot. Of, there's also a lot of data. You've got lots, lots of logs. Of you've got, yeah. you know, it's like how do you use tools to sort of filter out, you know, what's genuinely a signal from you know the noise, just from those sort of everyday sort of um, activities in your organization. And I think that is one thing that. Um, as a geneticist, as a medical geneticist, as a researcher, um, that's, um, you can, you can try like the, the analytical, the methods, the statistical methods, um, um, the algorithms are basically, they use the same, you know, in both fields. That's, so. Yeah. I mean, the math and stats are going to be very similar. You're still applying them to very large data sets. You're still looking for deviations in the same manners. Um, it makes a it, it makes a lot of sense, and the thought processes are going to share quite a bit of overlap. That's very cool. 
I, I bet you our audience definitely would never have equated uh, someone with a, a training in genetics to how there is a degree of uh, similarity to cyber. You were uh, recently speaking on low Earth orbit constellations in Saudi Arabia. So before we, what is a low Earth orbit constellation for our listeners that don't know? And I, I believe this is referring to satellites, but is is that essentially... Yes, so it's satellites which are positioned. So uh, most traditional satellites are geostationary or uh, median orbit satellites. So they're they're positioned relatively high in the Earth's orbit. Yep. So I mean they're great, like geostationary. So that they basically stay in the same position. Um, they're positioned high enough in orbit so that they stay in the same uh, relative position on Earth. And they're fantastic for things like, you know, satellite television, you know, if you, you know, if your favorite sort of, you know, television show, or whatever. <laughs> um, but those, the, the, because they're placed so high in, in the Earth's orbit, the latency, there's, you know, for the signal is too, is too long for it to be, for you to be able to use it for kind of more real time in, you know, speed time. Um, ah. situation. So these are so, meant more for networking then? So these, because they're positioned much lower in, in the Earth's orbit, um, they, you are able to, uh, the, the, the latency for signal transmission is much lower so that you can actually effectively deploy those for low latency uh, solutions and offerings. Uh, for example, the internet. And Actually, you know, even I mean, even for kind of developed nations, like so, I'm I'm based out of the UK. Uh, even for developed nations like the UK, there are regions where you know they they just don't have internet access, or they have very poor, unreliable, um, low speed internet access. Um, so I think the the having that satellite with that capability um, effectively. The aim is to cover those plus other use cases, like if you have people, um, if you have, you know, if you're on a, on a flight, if you're, you know, on a, on the sea, um, difficult to reach uh, locations. Um, so it's just it, it's just everywhere. You're, it, you and, always... Exactly everywhere. And I, honestly, I think you know the internet is probably the start. I think you can actually uh, piggyback a lot more other sort of use cases on these um, on these satellites. So it's quite cool. So how uh, securing them, I, w I would imagine that, you know, that's, it's very difficult uh, to even the control rooms and whatnot would all be secured with physical security, layers of security. Where, where is the, the chink, if you will, in this armor so on, so I said this at Black Hat, so I think I'm allowed to say this. So I think um, with I think with traditional, um, uh, we actually have a bigger security problem than sort of more because you're right. Traditional sort of geostationary satellites is very physical. You know, the physical security basically does. You know, is 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 really quite effective. The thing with low Earth orbit satellites is because the number of satellites, because the number of, you know, you need ground stations. So the satellites, not just that well, you need ground stations, you need to connect them to a uh, local area network, connect them to a um, wide area network. And you have this user terminals, which 
you know, send and receive signals from, you know, between the satellite and your sort of your your position. Um, it effectively it it takes a sort of like a, a, a sort of attack profile of um, Internet of Things, really. Um, okay. Essentially, you have yeah, you you have I things that sort of well, I mean, incidentally, I don't think the satellites are um, as 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 the most vulnerable one because they're in the air, right? <laughs> It's right. you know they 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 sort of you know spin around because they don't they don't because they're so low in the Earth orbit they whisk around the sort of surface very quickly. So if you're an attack on the ground, you know to do brute force attack, it'll I mean, <laughs> very limited time. You have a very um, limited time span in which you can yeah. do that. Yeah, before it whizzes past you. So uh, before that particular satellite whizzes past you. And at the moment, I don't think anyone's gonna, you know, people generally not flying over that. that no, they're, they're not. It's like, you know, so it's not the, yet. It's the, no, not yet, not yet, not yet. They made it. Um, so it's so the 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 most vulnerable parts is probably um, it's probably the sort of areas where, um, as an organisation, you have least amount of control and you have the most amount of kit. Uh, you probably can guess where that where those are so is yeah yeah so you know it seems like that would be similar to what we see we we um as an organization do a lot of work in the infrastructure space and for us it's usually the human interface elements to the ot systems that we're very concerned about yeah exactly so you so you meant like the, you know so the um the ot's traditionally they're not designed to sort of for regular updates but I think that's right. There's more knowledge out there, and you know, a vulnerability once it's discovered, it you just I just think you have the same sort of time frame as you used to uh, to remediate that vulnerability before some an attacker finds it and actually try and attack you as an organization. So you know, that's a very good point. The thing the thing about attackers is I think um, they're very um, they're very collaborative. You know, once somebody knows something, it's yeah, it's out there. They're much more collaborated than us, I think. As an and they're very innovative. I think you know they are. Uh, they are. They're, they're they're not on the same constraints. Sorry. No, yeah. yeah, they're not under the same constraints. You're absolutely right, and uh, you know it's a group of people <clears throat> that is quite intelligent. Now, maybe they're using their efforts depending on their reason for doing it in a misdirected manner, but it is a very intelligent group of people to be able to do some of these things that, that are being done. Uh, and we should never lose sight of that fact and dismiss them as average. I I mean, I, I think, you know, I think hackers, I mean, you can, you know, if you're a hacker, you can be a white hat and you can be a black hat, right? So yes. I think they are, they are, you know, if we can sort of, you know, try and bring them over to our side, they're actually fantastic in protecting your organization and actually we we use um hackers we actually have a it's still private we've been running for over a year uh private bug bounty program and they they you know they they actually tell us a, they provide a lot of information about our you know our organization our infrastructure what's secure what's not secure so um i you know i i think yeah Hackers, if you can bring them over to the white side, are fantastic. <laughs> now, 
you know, talking about Black Hat, and again, getting back to you, you were a keynote speaker there on these human inter interface points that that may be located all over the place and with different elements. Is zero trust uh, the best approach to securing it? Are, so uh, zero trust, um, I think... Or elements of zero trust, I should say. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, and I, I think zero trust is, is fantastic, um, you know, is fantastic kind of um, a fra phrase of getting people's attention. But um, zero trust, I think, you, you at some point, you're going to have to trust somebody, right? You have to have some yeah, trust. <laughs> otherwise, you so, can't do anything. Exactly, you know. So yeah. you're going to have some trust. It's just the amount of, you know, you try and... Because um, nothing, nothing comes for free, right? If you're, you're going to have some, if you have a control, it's, it's going to, yeah. there's going to be overhead. There's going to be overhead of sorts. And yep. if you have overhead that's relative to your um, audience, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, people are going to find ways of doing it. I mean, we're, we're, regardless of how clever machines are, sometimes I think we are far, far cleverer. And, um, I think it's, you know, you just have to, I think that the key thing in for a professional in cybersecurity is that you have to be quite pragmatic about, you know, where your trust boundaries are. You know, you want to sort of have it so that, you know, if you are breached, if there's a breach, you know, the attack, the uh, um, attack radius is sort of as minimized as possible but not add so much overhead that people all of a sudden do shadow IT and then you have no visibility and that's just every security professional's worth nightmare. So it's, it, it's, it's um, you know. I mean, we read, you, you pick up a newspaper every day or you open it on your iPad, as the case may be. Um, you, there's not a single day that goes by where you can't find a story of some kind of a major breach event taking place with someone. Yeah. Is there, first of all, is there such a thing as, the, um, let's just bust a myth here. Is there anything such as 100% security that you can stop everything and then... No, <laughs> no. I'm sure to this. What's the... What, well, you know, people think that, you know, we can spend a lot of money on this and we'll solve all our problems, but... I think you just mentioned something about blast radius and limiting it. I'd like to gather your thoughts on this as to how this applies to what we're seeing in the day-to-day -day world on a daily so, basis here. Yeah. So I think, you know, you can't, for somebody who's very motivated, right, it's, you know, and have limitless resources, I think they're, you know, almost impossible to protect. And also the thing is we're, you know, we're in the light and they're in the dark. We don't know what they're actually doing, right? So if we, we have a bit more idea, um, and you can, some of the tools now can actually detect some of those signals, but um, you to, you cannot, I think you cannot operate. I mean, the safest thing if you want 100% security is, I don't know, grab your server with your data, wrap it, you know, put it in like six feet of concrete and, you know, dump it in a hole and cover it by another six feet of concrete. Right? It's completely not practical. So you just have to, uh, um, you know, it, it is, it, you know, you do have 
everything comes with a risk. I mean, it's not just cybersecurity, right? You know, if I somebody goes goes out, you know, you might get somebody might get hit by a bus, but it doesn't mean that ah, oh, you sure. know, you, you calculate what that risk is, and you sort of say, do I go out or do I stay in my house? So, you know, everything comes with a risk, and you just have to sort of um, do enough um, so that it's as mitigated as possible. So when you're driving a car, you wear your seatbelt. You know, you don't you don't go speeding. You don't you know drink. Um, so you mitigate that those as much as possible, but it's all, it's impossible to have something that's hundred percent secure, and it's not realistic. I also think um, it's not uh, necessarily a, a fantastic kind of frame of mind to get into because it scares people, right? It scares, especially if they're not, you know, if cybersecurity or security is not their kind of uh, bread and butter, as it were. It, it, you know, people go, well, you know, we're at this point and we, we've got to get to 100% secure. Whereas actually, no, it's, you know, it's a continuous process. And, you know, you just need to, you know, take a step at a time and you just move from, you know, a very dark place to a lighter place. But it's like grades. It's not, sh it's shades of like gray, not like black and white. So I think, I think getting that across and, Sort of getting people, um, getting through the, uh, through the industry, uh, through, well, our colleagues and industry that's, you know, you just basically need to start taking steps in the right direction. And it doesn't matter if initially you don't get to, you know, where you want in the end, but, but as long as you, you know, keep moving is, it's sort of, it's okay. You know, I'm so glad you said that because that, uh, Dr. Wendy, it'll bring, uh, hopefully people listening are going to understand that. And that is a critical, it's shades. You know, we're talking about levels of security. It's not a, a simple, you throw a switch and on day zero, you're not secure. Day two, you're completely secure. It doesn't work that way. And yeah. I think one of the things you're describing is you to to do what you are suggesting, you have to have a consummate understanding of your risk and how much of it mm -hmm. is acceptable. And how do you, I think there's a big gap. So I look at like the cybersecurity professionals and I look at the executives that are actually running the business and who may not have that deep an interest in cybersecurity itself, because that's not what they're paid for. They, they have a business to go run and do whatever yeah. it is that, that that business is doing in the market. Profit and loss, right? Yeah. So they have yeah, those profit and, They have... <laughs> How, how do we bridge that gap? You know, how do they, we get them an understanding of the risk or should we turn it upside down and have them articulate what they believe are the riskiest parts to the business and secure that? So What's, what direction I, do we go in here? So I, I, think, I think, you know, obviously both directions better. So I have actually, you know, in my, for, so as, as part of my consulting career and, um, my my sort of last role with driving the DevSecOps initiative experience, I did, you know, I did interact with the board and, you know, and there is a certain level of, you know, translation, I think, required, you know, for some, you know. Very polite term. <laughs> it's, yeah. But it's, you know, I, 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 think, 
I think that they, they do, incidentally, they do, boards do have access to consultants, external experts as well. So that, they, they, you know, they, and they are, you know, it's not like they're sitting in an ivory tower and say, we don't care, right? They, they do, they honestly do. And they're, they're talking about it. But I think it is the, um, I think the education is the, 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 I think the main gap possibly, and that this is for every organization, it's not just, you know, and every industry, is the person who's able to bridge someone who's like those who are t- highly technical, who understand how their system works or understand how their product works inside out. And right. gosh, I've, I've seen some low level designs and it's just like, you know, <laughs> and. <laughs> And, and your execs who basically says, well, what, what does this mean? What, you know, what's the operational cost? You know, how do we maintain this? You know, how do we ensure that we are operating it within these regulations and safeguarding our customers uh, uh, and our stakeholders? So I think it's that, um, that interpreter, as it were, that is kind of quite crucial um, so that you get sort of by way flow. Because I think one of the things is when, when the sort of um when what you're dealing with day to day is so different it's sometimes difficult to get a message across um yeah and that's regardless of what your industry is so the the thing is they are you know the execs at least the ones i work with they are they are interested they you know they do want to learn it's just that how do we um how can the message be translated from some of from the folks you know knows the system inside out to them that is one of the most important roles and that's a very rare person that is that is because it's it the thing is it's just we're we're people we're tribal i mean you know that's it we're humans you know that you can't you can't get away from that and um we're we're most comfortable with people that are like us so you need for that translator that person needs to be comfortable with speaking like you have to be able to get respect from both parties right so and and be comfortable for both parties to speak to you and share information with you for you to be able to play that uh, interpreter role so that's i think that's the difficulty now i and i'm sure you know um you know in all your many consulting uh adventures that you've probably had you know, there is, you, you talked a little, you mentioned awareness and, and this is just for me personally, I think a, building that a culture of awareness is a very important step in an organization. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and, I mean, of, there's I, a lot of friction there too. So how do you do it? Like some thoughts on that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. So people are tribal. Um, I, I think I, Generally, I think we're making progress, but I think one thing we have to, I can't remember what, uh, where this came from, but I read something that, um, somewhere where you, if you want to know that person, like know that person, you need to sort of go back to the year they're 21, they turn 21 or something, right? So if you think about it, if you work backwards from that, people who are in executive positions or in senior roles who um who can make those decisions when they were 21 i mean <laughs> like <laughs> it, you know system are 
do, 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 do you see what I mean? Like, it's just the, our, you, you physically have to go to the office to do any work. You can't, you know, you can't work, um, connect from, from, from the comfort of your own home. So I think that there's that, um, is that sort of education, understanding where they're from. And I think that empathy is quite important when you have those conversations with them rather than say, rather than go in and sort of go, you're not doing this right. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. Right. So I think having that human element and sort of getting them to um, have an open dialogue with you would actually uh, would help things a great deal. Uh, you should put together a master class for something like this and and get uh because you you're spot on and it's a it's a very difficult exercise to do uh for anyone that's gone through it and that's listening when you actually get down to doing it it is not a trivial thing to do um no you have to take bring people with you which is probably one of the hardest thing th um that is the hardest yeah. thing right <laughs> so, yeah. you know i we we yeah. get um i i can't tell you the number of times and and this is again i'm only speaking in our limited experience here of what we've seen is that when we when you go to put a set of policies in place security policies in place if the organization has not been educated on the why like if the broader audience you tell them well don't don't connect from starbucks to uh, and do your banking there as an example i'm just picking something yeah yeah and you don't then follow that up with why, then your compliance to it becomes, uh, it, it's an uphill fight. Whereas if they understand the why, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, people are reasonable and they're like, oh, that makes sense. Probably shouldn't yeah. do that. Yeah, I mean, the actual writing the policy themselves is... Um probably relatively easy actually because it's you know there's there's certainly if you're a certain organization in a certain industry there are things that you 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 have to do um and it's probably the same for every organization but it's just getting getting that buy-in getting that sponsor executive sponsorship but also getting people on the um you know on the cold face as it were so we, we understand why we're doing this and we're going to do our best and those are your best protectors actually as an organization um because they know the environment yeah. inside out, because they know the technology and because um, they are able to enact whatever's necessary to protect it. So I think it's, it's that, it's that buying the policy itself is a document, their documents, you know, is what, is what it is, but it's getting, getting people to sort of come along with you on this journey going, well, there's going to be a little bit, more overhead you're not going to be able to do things possibly as quickly as easily as you did but there's a reason for that and i think is that having that is i think where the sort of cultural mindset change um for sort of cybersecurity awareness program can can help a great deal in an organization uh, and security champions i mean in 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 uh in devsecop there's a you know that is one one way of bringing the sort of developer development team along that would help to improve the security posture of your organization. Now, doesn't the development team let, that's a great transition, you know, DevSecOps, <laughs> which you uh, are, are a master of is 
there there's this inherent conflict present in that right because they they this is a team that has to get an application out the door it might have revenue implications it might have compliance impl- it could have n number of implications for the company as a business and you're introducing security overhead into it or they're going to the developers will see it as Oh my God! Now I got this this security person. Yeah, here. Scan, we got to do threat modeling. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> How do you get across that barrier? I mean, that's that's a that's a conflicting situation. I I think so. What you know, education works, but I think education, from my experience, you have to be for for the developers especially. Um, it needs to be fairly directed education, and you know, going back to my sort of comment earlier that people are tribal, um, it really helps if you are, you know, so security champions, they're basically developers. Or ideally, they're developers who okay. with an interest in security. Okay. And, you know, they, um, they understand, you know, they have, uh, well, because they have an interest in security, hopefully they have a better understanding why we're doing things. And it's having those individuals either within teams or you know ideally they're, they're within you know that you don't move them around but having those individuals to sort of communicate the why that you mentioned earlier why we're doing things to the developers that will kind of smooth that journey out i think you know modern day um software development you you, you have to do you know you have to do those security um checks you can't just Oh, you know, um, I, I, I sort of, um, you know, here's, here's my code and, you know, it does what it says and, you know, off you go and we're never going to, you know, scan it. Even even if it's secure, when you release it, you need to scan it continuously and because new vulnerability can be deli- discovered. Oh, absolutely. So, and But I see a lot of code today is... Uh, not very rarely are things completely developed from scratch. You're borrowing yeah. libraries from somewhere. Right? Yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. Right. Even if you're on Java, Java yeah. is open source, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to do it from scratch. Yeah. You don't write bespoke code at all. I mean, not yeah. at all, but like in general, you know, for commercial software. Yeah. Then controlling that third party risk is a is a very from a security perspective is th- there's there's a potential vul- set of vulnerabilities there all the time I, yeah yeah and and it's and it yeah and it, it's you know and you have to sort of um new vulnerabilities are developed you know oh, constantly yeah in heartbeat you know so uh, it, it, that gets into you know that sort of um gets integrated or yeah it's only discovered after you integrated um uh, the library into you know log4j into the into the application so um scanning those if you you know if i was a software developer or if i was an organization um that uh that does software development I think scanning those open source libraries. So it's not just the vulnerabilities, you also have licenses. It's like, you know, there are certain, uh, even they're open source, you, you can only use them under, you know, potentially certain circumstances. Right. So uh, in the past, that there, there are instances where, you know, uh, basically the legal department, it gives them, 
<laughs> anxiety attacks right? sort of like you know are we using are we using what we um you know how 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 we're supposed to and you know are we sort of you know in breach of any anything from the license uh, uh compartment so but yeah in like i think on average something like from the top of my head like 75 to 80 percent of all code lines are open source um really yeah, I didn't so, even realize yeah. it was that high. Wow. So. Yeah. So I, I and yeah. So it's um, you know if you if you if you do need to do one kind of security uh, sense check, I think scanning those open source libraries is sort of your main bet. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. So then, from that description, that process can never stop. It is continual. No, 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 because new vulnerabilities get discovered. And, um, you know, if you have, if you have a library for J, for example, that is commonly used, you know, in different, um, by, by different developers in the industry. Oh, you know, it's, the impact of that is huge. Oh, yeah. We had, I mean, in our, in one of our own applications, we had Log4J, but the thing was that, when we developed the app, we had developed it with security in mind. So for us to address it really didn't take very long to to, to take care of it. Yeah, yeah. Right? I think whereas yeah, I if think... we had not designed for security, we would have had architectural issues that would have come up with that when we addressed yeah, it. Yeah, I think so. And I think you probably had a, you know, from your supply like you had a good supply you know, a list of what libraries you have. So if any, you know, yes. if anything that comes up. Like if you if you discover new vulnerabilities, you know exactly what's in your sort of asset register, like what what you have, at, and then at, yeah, that's step do. one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, a lot of people don't even have that. Um, I think you know, especially some of the, you know, yeah, um, possibly where connectivity wasn't a, a such an issue. Um, so. I think having that is um, is quite crucial, and I think we are moving the right direction. Right, people people are aware that we need to have these things. People are aware that we we should do like threat profiling. You know, people are aware. You know, it's um, you know least privilege um, access control. So it, it we are we are getting there. We are getting there. Kicking and screaming in some cases, but yes, uh, kicking and screaming in some cases, but yeah, we're trending in the right way. We well, are trending in the right way, and, and I think you know, I probably shouldn't say this, but I, I think the fact that you're always it's always another opportunity, you know, to sort of help and improve, and you know, hopefully, sort of pull someone along, you know, kicking, screaming, shouting, what have you. <laughs> I think that's what makes the role kind of quite, you know, so interesting. You know, it's never the same. Like every day is different. That's very true. That's true in consulting in general. It's never, no two days are exactly the same. Well, Dr. Wendy, we're already at the hour here pretty much. So I, I wanted to make sure that we gave you a little bit of time to plug anything that you wanted to talk about and bring to our audience's attention. Uh, we know you're very active in the security community. You make a lot of appearances. So are there any books, appearances, blogs, literature, anything that you're publishing? What would you like our audience to know about? 
So I do have a blog. Um, I've been writing blogs since 2016. So I've, you know, it's my, it's my way of, um, giving back to the community and just sharing some of the, um, lessons learned and, you know, some of the things I've seen on the ground. Um, I, I try to, um, depends on scheduling. I, I try to sort of, you know, keep that up as a sort of monthly, bi-monthly, uh, occurrence. Excellent. Um, the next conference that I'm going to be physically at is at, uh, SISAT in Paris. So I'll be, oh, I'll be presenting. So that's a cybersecurity, um, um, conference for space. Um, it's a bit, um, uh, in the space sector. So that's the next one. I think that's in April. Um, but no, I, in terms of, I, I do my best to try and give back to society, uh, to the, the community and to, just, just bring you know, just it, it just bring people along a little bit. Um, so it's that's admirable, being... and and you know uh, we we all deeply appreciate it because there's a lot of people that that otherwise could never get access to your knowledge, uh, and it was it's a little bit of sharing goes a long way. More than always, happy to help. Always happy to help, and yeah, and if you know, if the audience have any sort of questions, um, I can't promise that I will reply promptly, but yeah, I, if there's anything, you know, I can help with, just let me know. We're, we're a community, you know, I learn from somebody right, when I started. Will. Yeah. So brilliant. Thank you. Uh, we're all learning every day. And we're not even, I'm not even, I don't think I've even scratched the surface in terms of knowledge. So, <laughs> And it changes, right? The industry changes. So I think, you know, there's the, the constant learning, um, which is sort of, um, if you're a geek, it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and um, on that I like note, geeks. I think in uh, case. <laughs> we'll let... Yeah. <laughs> Well, we deeply appreciate you being here and uh, don't be a stranger. And, uh, you know, next time you have a major uh, announcement, let us know. We'd love to get you back and, and, and chat about it. Look forward to it. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you.